Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the New Books Network. My name is Yakir Englander, your host today. The meaning of being an immigrant has changed significantly in the 21st century. The internet, social media networks, cost of travels, homeland products of food that one can find all over the world, working far from home, all bring new opportunities to the idea of living in one place, but still feel deep belonging with homeland. Growing numbers of Israelis are living today in Europe. The book, Living Zion, the Israeli Diaspora in Europe, published in 2019, gives us a wide pictures of their life, challenges, but also show us a glimpse for a broader perspective around being an immigrant and having a hybrid identity. Some of these Israelis still work remotely in companies based in Israel in Hebrew, visiting Israel once a month, since it is cheap and takes only a few hours of travel. They speak Hebrew with their kids, meet with other Israelis who live in their European city, and use Israeli media. But for the first time, Israelis, that many of their parents are Holocaust survivors who run away from Europe, these children, who are now adult, are coming back, and in a way returning to their parents' homeland. In his book, journalist David Stavro bring us their stories, stories that invite other immigrants and scholars to rethink about the meaning of living in two homes. Welcome, David, to the New Books Network. My first question for you is, can you share with us about your choice to write your book? Yeah, well, um, there's a few uh, reasons why I was interested in the subject and the subject of Israeli immigrants in Europe. Uh, some of them are more uh, as an observer from the outside, as a journalist, as a writer. But, but before that, uh, it's a personal interest um, because uh, just as much as my book is about the people I interviewed, about Israelis who live in Europe who are interviewed, uh, I and can't forget that I am one of those people. I am an Israeli who lives in Europe myself. Uh, and not only that, I also have kind of a natural curiosity about the subject even before because uh, I am a son of immigrants as well. Uh, in my case, it's kind of a reverse immigration because my parents are both uh, uh, people who came to Israel, made Aliyah from uh, the UK. Uh, so I grew up as an immigrant of people who came from Europe in Israel. Uh, and today my children are growing up uh, as children of Israeli immigrants who came to live in Europe. And it's not the same. Of course, there's a lot of differences. But it means that any kind of aspects of uh, life of immigrants in a new country, and certainly when it comes to Israelis, is very interesting. So I'm interested 
uh, in the way people live and the way what people miss about their homeland and the choices they make when they uh, um, have to uh, when they have children and they decide all kinds of decisions about what language they talk and what uh, holidays and how they celebrate them and uh, you know you name it what food they miss and what music and what culture uh, and what uh, you know what kind of life they choose to live so I have a, a natural curiosity and a natural connection uh, to that. Uh, other than that, I also think it's uh, I have a, a more, say, a poetic interest because it's um, there's a kind of curiosity when when I uh, um, lived in Europe for a few years and I met other Israelis who live here. I must say that uh, it was kind of a wonder uh, to see people who live in a country or in a continent, which in many ways is the exact opposite. It's, uh, you know, cold and dark and uh, culturally and politically, there are a lot of differences. And people live here and make a life for themselves, but still continue to listen to Israeli music or still continue to follow Israeli football teams and still continue to read Israeli newspapers and follow Israeli TV series. And, and seeing that, both for myself and my, you know, other people who live here, um, made uh, made me curious to to look into it to to search a bit uh, deeper about what kind of uh, life we live and what what meaning it has whether it's social or political and so on and so on. Fascinating. So we will come to all these questions um, later. My my first question will be: um, Can you give us some details, if if they are details, about like the amount of Israeli um, who live in 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 Europe? I also wonder. Um, um, your book focus on 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 more specific places in Europe, and if yes, why? Um, is it just because you live in more Western or Northwestern um, Europe? Um, but can you give us Maybe a few details, like what are the numbers of people that we speak about? My second question is, um, can you mention that your parents were immigrants from Europe, from the UK to Israel? I wonder if the Israelis who choose to live in Europe are more coming from Ashkenazi European roots, even if they were born in Israel, or that you can find um, like North African Israelis or with Isra um, Israelis with North African roots who decide to go from the Middle East, who decide to go. And also, how many of the people in your feeling, in your interviews, were people who are like you, who are Israeli um, European in a way that the parents make the immigration. Okay, well, uh, that's a lot of questions, uh, and in some cases, it's a classic example of a short question with a very long answer. Um, because, and you know, I'll try to be brief about it, but it's not so simple because a lot of people ask me, okay, first fact to know: how many Israelis live in Europe? And it sounds like a simple question, but of course, it's not, uh, and for two very different reasons. The first reason is there's no list. Right. It's not like you move from Israel to Europe and you register yourself somewhere and then there's a list um, that doesn't work like that. So uh, so we don't know. There's no official number. Um, but the second reason is more important. And that's because it all depends on how you define an Israeli, how you define leaving and how you define a European. So, for example, just just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about is, you know, there's an engine to the growth of the Israeli diaspora in Europe, or a few engines. One of them is the whole world of relocations, people who 
work for a big company and they move to Europe or to the US for that sake, but we're talking about Europe uh, for two years or three years or five years or seven years, whatever the case may be. As academic uh, postdocs. Exactly. That's or... a second engine, postdocs, researchers, and so on and so on. And then, of course, there's others. There's love immigrants, marriages, and things like that. But if you think about the first two, So, you know, people move from uh, Tel Aviv to uh, Amsterdam or Brussels or Madrid or Warsaw, and they know they're coming for three years, but then life happens. They meet someone and get married, or they just fall in love with a place or, you know, other kinds of circumstances. So are they counted in or not counted in as Israelis left Israel? Or at what point do you decide they're never coming back again? And it's the same for researchers. And there's also other subgroups, sometimes thousands and thousands of people who nobody can really agree if they are considered to be uh, Israelis who left Israel to Europe, for example. Um, uh, Israelis uh, who were born in the Soviet Union left the Soviet Union as it dissolved in the late 80s, early 90s, moved to Ashdod or Petah Tikva or Jerusalem for three years or for six years or for eight years, and then moved on to Europe or to the US again, but we'll talk about Europe. So are they considered people who left Israel or they considered people who left the Soviet Union and just made a you know short stop in Israel? So And people who grew up in Israel as kids and their parents moved to Europe when they were 16 or 17. Are they Israelis? They speak Hebrew. They have Israeli friends. They go to Israel all the time, but they never chose to live. So, you know, what I'm saying is there's no number. But if you insist, in real in the real world, of course, there are estimations. The estimations are anywhere between 100 and 200,000 Israelis who live in Europe, which is... Um, a lot less than Israelis who live in North America, in the US and Canada, uh, or a lot less, if you want, from another direction than Israelis who live in the West Bank. But it is just about the amount of Israelis who live in all the kibbutzim in Israel together, or in big towns like Ramat Gan or Kfar Saba. So, so that's, that's, you know, that's the scale. So, so those are the numbers. Now, we'll talk maybe later, if you're interested, about who these Israelis are and what you can say about them as a group. But just to address your questions, I would say... I don't know if, um, you know, there hasn't been too much research, I mean, academically about these people. So we don't know to say if the most of them are Ashkenazi, Israeli Jews, or if they come from uh, other backgrounds, North, America, North Africa or, or, or the Middle East. Um, and there's a lot of questions you can ask where they are politically, if they're young or old, if they're more, you know, to the left or to the right. There's a lot of questions and I looked into it. I can say quite a few people I met to interview uh, were certainly people from immigrant backgrounds in Israel and also became immigrants themselves. Uh, I don't know if that's a coincidence, uh, but it is certainly a lot of people that I met. Uh, and the choice of why I spoke to people from that country or from this country or from other countries, that's more, I don't know if people are interested in the technicalities of writing a book like this one. It's a nonfiction book. It's obvious that nobody's going to get rich from it. So there has to be some kind of economic model behind it. Uh, I'm a journalist. I write for an Israeli newspaper called Haaretz and for, here and there for other places. Uh, so what I did was that every time I went to do a report uh, in another European country, say they sent me to Brussels. Uh, so I just made the visit a couple of hours longer and I made an appointment with some Israeli who lives there. Um, so, so it's very, you know, it's true. There's a lot more Western Northern Europe uh, in my book than other places. But because of uh, technology and Facebook and social media, I was able to kind of back up uh, what I did with a lot of conversations which don't appear in the book. So, you know, if, if I, for the book, I talk to people in uh, 
London, Berlin, Copenhagen, Helsinki, Brussels, Amsterdam, another couple of places here in Sweden, obviously, because I live in Sweden. But behind that, there's lots and lots and lots of more conversations with people all over Europe, just that they were, you know, uh, there was a limit to how much I can put in the book itself. But there's more. So, David, um, in North America, the Israeli, and again, as, as uh, we speak about the Israeli-American community, um, in United States, although they are living in totally different states with different, you know, um, culture and, and many hours flight from L.A. to Boston, however, they still see themselves, they identify themselves um, in many ways as one big Israeli-American community. Now, I think that it's a lot because of the work of the Israeli-American Council who focus on creating the local communities, but also to see themselves as one big united Israeli-American community. My question for you is about the, the Israeli who live in Europe. How much do they see themselves as one big community? How much the Israeli-European Israeli who live in uh, Stockholm care and connect and think about what's happening with the Israeli community in Berlin uh, or in Portugal? Yeah, it's, a, it's a good question, and I think there's a lot of uh, differences here. I'm, like, I'm, I'm not an expert uh, on the Israeli communities in North America, but I do know about uh, uh, some aspects of it, and I know quite a bit about Israelis in Europe. Uh, I would say there's a, a big difference. First of all, the Israelis in, uh, there's m- much more Israelis in North America, um, and, and they're much, much, much more organized. Um, and one of the reasons for that is that although there have been Israelis in Europe for many, many years, they haven't been organized for many years. Mm. So for many years, you know, there were Israelis that were living somewhere in some by some Jewish community here or there, um, not uh, connected relatively new phenomena, which has a lot to do with all kinds of technical um, uh, progress, uh, you know, low-cost airlines, uh, um, social media and things like that. Um, there's no equivalent to a big Israeli organization in Europe. What we do have is small local organizations which have been popping up in the last few years in many places, and a lot of them are now starting to discover each other. So you have all kinds of... Uh, um, grassroots organizations, I would say, or NGOs. You have a you know Israeli newspaper here, and an Israeli NGO connects uh, you know Israelis for whatever the case may be, sports or cooking or uh, you know writing or reading. Uh, and in and these last few years, we've been discovering each other and making it a, a European project as well. Um, so yes, there is a bit of that, and yes, there's also. Uh, all kinds of organizations who try to, uh, for example, uh, encourage uh, Israeli leadership in Europe, uh, and they meet each other and have conferences uh, and organize themselves. And when discovering this, of course, the Israeli government, Israeli parliament also send their long arm into these places. Uh, So there is a beginning of what uh, has already been going in uh, America for a long time. Um, I don't know where it's going to end. Uh, It's uh, it's yet to be seen. Um, But certainly I can say, uh, and, you know, I'm not saying this is a good thing or is a bad thing, uh, unlike a more traditional organization with, you know, budget and money and inner politics, you have in other places here, 
um, I would say the, the biggest uh, organization that has to do with it is Facebook. Because, uh, you know, I live in Sweden uh, and I, I'm a member of, uh, say, at least five or six different Facebook groups of Israelis in Sweden, not of European, like just, you know, one's Whoa. Israelis in Stockholm, one's Israelis in Sweden, one is a left-wing Israelis in Sweden, one is right-wing Israelis, because, you know, the journalists have to be on all sides. One is, you know, Israelis cooking this, and Israelis like this music, and Israelis uh, so do this or do that. the same people in different Exactly, groups. exactly. Yeah. And some of these groups, I mean, some of them are just Facebook, but some of them have a presence in the physical world as well. They arrange meetings, they celebrate the holidays, they have activity for children. Um, so in that sense, it's a lot more, in a way, democratic, a lot more open, a lot less centralized than, than the traditional way Israelis uh, are perhaps organized in parts of the U.S. So, uh, so it is very different in, in that sense, I think. Um, so many of my questions are, will come from my work with the Israeli-American community where I am. And one of the things that we are dealing with is a question that for many Israelis, when they are in Israel, their Jewish identity is being Israeli. It's interesting. It's being Israeli. And in a way, what we think about or what many of the Israelis, when they hear the word Jewish, they think about the Orthodox Jews. And this is something that they do not want to have a relationship with when they are in Israel. Now, in Israel, when you're an Israeli, your Jewish identity is by definition. Um, there is an, in, um, um, an incredible um, thinker, even theologian, even that she's a secular, Ruth Calderon, who wrote an article which called Hazim Zuma Ivri, the Hebrew um, buzzing. Humming. Yes, <laughs> humming, humming, right? That when you are on Yom Kippur, which is a holy day in Israel, and there are no cars, the children, the secular children, yes, who are totally maybe atheist, they yeah. can go with their bike on the highway and they will not be in danger, right? All of that doesn't exist when you move from Israel to Europe or from Israel to America. And then you need to ask yourself, is my Israeli identity strong enough in order to raise my family or do I need to do something else? And I am interested if you can share with us and your book touch it in so many ways, about the other things that they start exploring? Um, well, yeah, um, it's a question of identity. Uh, it's, I could start with this. There haven't been too many studies, I mean, academically, about um, the Israeli diaspora in Europe, the Israeli communities in Europe, um, for, the mentions, for the reasons I mentioned before, probably a lot less than, than those uh, that you have in the US, but there have been some studies. Uh, and from indications that we have, and I'm saying this carefully because, you know, a lot more needs to be learned about them. But but I can say that those who have studied it, and, and also myself, uh, you know, um, I, I met a lot of Israelis, I meet a lot of Israelis. I think the profile of Israelis who live in Europe, um, certainly of the latest uh, generation of Israelis who live in Europe, they are secular. They see themselves as Israeli before they see themselves as Jews. Um, and of course, you have to remember, there's also a subcategory of Israelis who live in Europe who are not Jews. I also spoke to a couple of those as well. Right. But if we're now talking about the Israeli Jews who live in Europe, so they see themselves as Israelis, they see themselves less as Jews. They 
they are more they tend more to assimilate uh, or integrate into European surroundings of the countries where they live in less into the Jewish communities the traditional uh, Jewish communities so an Israeli who's moved to Copenhagen is more likely to connect and to get friendly with with his uh, Danish neighbors than he is to join the Jewish community of Denmark um, which is important. Uh, again, I'm saying this carefully because, it, of course, it doesn't include everyone, but it's, it's, I think that's the trend. Uh, and, but there are things that are important when it comes to the Israeli and to the Jewish identity. We still, uh, a lot of them, most of them, I would dare to say, really want to hold the Hebrew language uh, alive with their next generation, meaning with their kids. They do want to celebrate the holidays, although it has to be the Israeli version of a holiday. So it's not exactly the same way that they celebrate in the local synagogue and also not exactly the same holidays they celebrate in the local synagogue. And these are the small and important Can you give nuances. an example? Can you give an example? Of course. Example, um, I mean, an Israeli Hanukkah, uh, an Israeli Purim, is not like an, a European traditional um, Purim, not, by the way, not a conservative, not a reformer, not an orthodox one. It's, it's, a, it's similar but it's not exactly the same. And then, of course, there are, there are holidays which are not celebrated at all. Your um, typical religious um, uh, Jewish communities in Europe, uh, I don't know how many of them celebrate Yom Ha'atzmaut, Israel's Independence Day. And if they do, it's not the same. Uh, and and there, there are differences. It's not the same songs. It's not exactly the same food. It's not only that it's Nesgadol Hayapo, not Nesgadol Hayasham, which is a, a small symbolic example when it comes to Hanukkah, but there's a lot of differences. Uh, so, so I'm saying Israelis who live in Europe, at least for new generation, um, it's important for them to speak Hebrew, to celebrate the holidays, to maintain the connection with, for example, their parents who live in Israel. So everyone wants a grandchild to be able to talk with a grandfather and grandmother. That is important, but it's not super important to pay uh, what it costs to join a local Orthodox or even reform or uh, conservative Jewish community. So, so that's uh, very typical. And I think, I mean, I spoke to a lot of people about this question and people gave me different reasons. Uh, you know, in Germany, for example, I spoke to uh, people who are Yakir, do you hear me? Yes, I hear you. Yes, I'm sorry. We have a conversation here. How do we... We'll just So in my book, I spoke to uh, a lot of people um, Again, in my book, I spoke to a lot of people about why this is the case. Um, and some people in Germany, for example, a lot of people told me uh, that a lot of Israelis who come to Berlin, because there's been quite a big immigration of the young Israelis to Berlin, they don't see themselves uh, as the uh, kind of older, more traditional Jewish community in Germany because they were in the military, for example, they are ex-soldiers, or because they are artists and left-wingers as opposed to traditional older generation. So, so there's things like that. Then there's all kinds of bureaucratic reasons people gave me about, you know, not wanting to join the local politics or pay the local tax or whatever the case may be. I think, personally, there's a deeper reason, and I think it has to do with a narrative. Uh, what story 
people tell themselves uh, when it's concerned to what, what where, where their identity is, where, where the main, the core of their identity lies. And I think that although human beings are complex beings and they and they have room for more than one active identity, you can you can be both an Israeli and a Swede, yeah. But I think there's a limit to what. Um, how many active identities you can hold. So uh, what I say now may sound a bit complicated, but it's actually quite simple. I think for me, and I can give myself as an example, although the people I spoke with, um, or spoke to uh, when I wrote the book, a lot of them gave me a similar account. Uh, I'm an Israeli because I was born in Israel. My family's in Israel. My friends are in Israel. I like Israel. Uh, I like it when it comes to the culture, the music and the food. Uh, I feel at home in Israel and I have an Israeli passport. Uh, and all those things and more make me Israeli. And I'm also Swede because I've been living here for a few years. By this point, I speak the language as well. I like Sweden. I think there's a lot of advantages in Swedish society. And my kids are growing up here and go to Swedish school. And for that reason, those reasons and many more, I'm a Swede. To hold another active identity of being a Jew, I'm not saying I can't do it. I'm saying that it's, you know, it has to be an extra. It's another spice on top of it. It's not the main one because a lot of the things that have to do with uh, being a Jew are not so, uh, traditionally, are not so important to me. I'm not so interested, for example, in the bloodline and the aspect of a Jewish race. Uh, as a secular Jew, I'm not really interested in in, uh, in studying Torah, at least not as a daily thing uh, and uh, an important part of my day-to-day activities. I'm not so interested in the mitzvot. Uh, so, you know, I'm first an Israeli, then a Swede, and on top of that, I have, and me and many others have, uh, you know, the extra bonus of being a Jew. I think for Jews who live in Sweden who are not Israelis, uh, it's the opposite. They are Swedes and they are Jews, and their Israeliness is an extra. You know, maybe they have a flat in Netanyahu in Tel Aviv. Maybe they come to Israel every summer. They have family in Israel. They follow, you know, they read the English edition of Haaretz or, or the Jerusalem Post or whatever the case may be. Um, and they're interested in Israel, but it's not a core part of their identity. It's an extra part. So what happens in reality is that Israel for European Jews is like Judaism for Israeli Europeans. So it's like the extra thing. And I think that's important because in, in the bottom line, uh, it's important to understand that Israeliness is now is an identity in itself. It's not a side effect of being Jewish. There is such a thing as being an Israeli. It's important, and for a lot of Israeli Europeans, it's just as important, if not more important, than the Jewish part of the, uh, their identity. I don't know if that was clear, but that's, uh, you know, it's about narrative and about identity. Yeah, it's fascinating because in a way it's an anti-Zionist uh, narrative on the opposite, because one of the tr- things that the Zionist movement tried to do is to create when they came from Europe to Israel to Palestine, Palestine then was to create the new generation of kids who are going to be Tzabar, who are going to be natives in their place. And in a way, the, the people that you sh- speak with, it sounds that they want to create an hybrid identity to their kids, that in a way they will be uh, Germans. But also, and here it's interesting because the Jewish community will say, we are Jewish Germans, right? A part of our Judaism is connected to being 
German, at least I can say it in the in, in United States, the oh, American so Jewish community calls themselves American Jewish. They are Americans, and they and, and one of the claim of the anti-Semitic is you are you have double identities. Right. And in a way, according to what you share with us, many Israelis create this hybrid identity of nations, yeah. of two yeah. nations. And yeah. I wonder about that, and I, I'm fascinated in something that I didn't find a lot in the book, but you mentioned a few times, what the kids say. I mean, we have, I'm sure you have now the generation, because you speak with some people that you mentioned, they have kids who are now in their 20s. Which kind of identity you hear from the kids? What, what do they say to the parents? Okay. I'll answer about the children in a second. Uh, I have four of my own, so you know, I know what they say. And, uh, and, uh, and I've spoken to other parents and other children. But I want to go back uh, just one second, uh, what you said about Zionism. Um, this is a new concept. And I'm aware of the fact that for some people, this is kind of mind-blowing and totally like takes them by surprise. But I have to say it because I see it in the way that it's what you said is very true. Uh, Israelis who live in um, in Europe, uh, whether it's you know in Holland, in Belgium, uh, in Scandinavia, or in France, or in Spain, or in Italy, uh, their identity is composed of the two different nations: the new nation and the, and the Israeli nation. But that is not losing Zionism because there's one factor which has to be taken in here, uh, and it's a very important one, and it only exists. I would say in the last 10 years, not more than that. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why it's a bit problematic to talk about the children because they're still too young. But um, I mean, to, to develop something uh, uh, as uh, adults or second generation. But what I mean is this, especially in Europe, more in Europe than in the US or in Australia on the other side of the world, um, because of the internet, because of low cost airlines, and even because the price to price of the same time zone, that's the difference between uh, Australia and the US and Europe. Uh, I would say that Israelis who live in Europe still live in Israel. Now, I know that sounds absurd, but in a way, if you think about it, 30, 40, 50 years ago, Israelis came to Europe after the Six Day War, after the Yom Kippur War. You know, they came to Europe and they stopped being Israeli. They, to read an is, Israeli newspaper, they had to go to a public library and pick up a copy of Yediotach Ronoto Ma'ariv from two weeks ago. And if they wanted to talk to their parents or, or their grandparents, they had to, you know, wait uh, for a very, very expensive, very, very short call. And going to Israel, you know, I, I've talked to people who came to Europe from Israel on a ship because, you know, flights were so expensive and so rare and such a big deal. These days, all that obviously doesn't exist anymore. So what you have is a generation of Israelis who can live in Europe but still work in Israel um, because they work in their laptop and cell phones. They can still talk to their families without paying anything and can do it all the time with WhatsApp and Skype. They can be part of Israeli political discourse because it's all on Twitter and Facebook and, you know, endless other social media. They follow Israeli TV series. They listen to Israeli radio all the time. I'm saying they, but actually referring to myself as well. Um, they can uh, have a double passport, which wasn't the case in many countries before, but is now. They can have real estate in Israel. They can have a bank account in Israel. They can vote in Israel because they can fly there five or six or 
10 times a year and not pay very much for it. So in a way, even though they live somewhere else, they are still part of Israeli society in many ways. Okay, so in that way, they are still part of Israeli society. Uh, And this may sound a bit weird, but in many, many ways, what you have is a generation of Israelis uh, when Israeli society itself is becoming more polarized and there's a lot of differences between, say, uh, Orthodox religious Jews and secular Jews, Jews who live in te- Israelis, I mean, Israelis who live in Tel Aviv and Israelis who live in the south and the north, uh, Israelis from uh, this group or from that group. So there's another group and this particular group happens to live in London or in Lisbon or in Madrid or in Rome. Um, but they're still part of Israeli society. So I would say even go so far as to say that Israelis who live in Europe haven't left the Zionist movement. They just make it uh, a, a bit more diverse and a bit more complicated and a bit more, you know, 21st century. That said, talking about the kids, uh, the children, I would say that is- Israeli children who grew up in this kind of identity, the oldest they are now is, you know, early teens. Um, so it's a bit early to say. I think this is the most fascinating, uh, fascinating aspect of this whole thing. And by the way, I ended my book on this note. The last chapter is about the second generation, and I ended it not with an exclamation mark. I ended with a question mark because I don't know if what happens here is that the glue isn't strong enough and they will just you know, dissolve into European society, or if the glue is very strong and what you will have is like a second generation of Chalutzim, uh, like you had a uh, hundred years ago in Europe, and, and another generation of uh, you know young um, people with a double identity who live amongst the nations of Europe, want to create a you know utopia in the old homeland. Who knows? I mean, I don't know. I can you know when I talk to my oldest son, he's thirteen years old. Years old. He speaks Hebrew. He's very interested in Israeli politics. He loves Israeli music and, uh, and culture. He loves going to Israel. Uh, and, you know, I can imagine a situation that in five years from now, he won't be interested anymore. But I can also imagine a situation that in five years from now, he'll say, listen, Dad, I want to go back to the old homeland. Yeah, which is going to be, it's it's uh, very fascinating about to think about these two um, identities, the hybrid identity. Um, but I want to come back to something that you you said before, which is in a way the disconnection um, from the Jewish local community. Um, and I wonder if you can share with us a little bit more. So in Israel, in the majority of Israel, when you say to be Jewish is mostly means equal to be Orthodox because the reform conservative movement is not so strong, almost doesn't yeah. exist. It's mostly come by immigration of American Jews to Israel. Right, right. Um, when you, but however, when you come and, and I think, and help me here, that the majority of the Jewish European communities are also focusing on under, in, in a, it's coming from Chabad, um, which is the ultra-Orthodox, always the Orthodox um, understanding. The situation in America is very different, very, very different. Since the American Jewish community, it's only 10% Orthodox. And I will say even more than that, this is the third generation in Jewish history ever that you have today in North America more female religious leaders, religious leaders, more female rabbis than men rabbis. Mm. 
So we have a whole new understanding of what is to be Jewish. And I think that the Israeli-American community slowly, takes them time, slowly understand that if they want their kids to be, to be Jewish, the Israeliness, unique as it is, is not, is not strong enough identity for their children. And therefore, they need to make the efforts to meet with the local American Jewish community in any interpretation that you wish for. And there is no excuse to say, oh, they care, they are too religious for me, because you will find transgender yeah. rabbi who fight for Black Lives Matter because they are Jewish. This is the interesting thing, yeah, because they right, are right, Jewish. Right, right. So a lot of the efforts of um, the Israeli-American community today is to create this incredible united connection between the communities and with the Israeli uniqueness of your identity. Your kids bring to American Jews the gift that they speak fluent Hebrew and they know Israeli music and Israeli food and, uh, and, and everything else. But it's very important about the future to create the connections. And there was in the past, I will say, even some anger from the American Jewish community, which says, you come to live with us and then you create your island, come to be with us. Let's create these relationships. So I wonder how it's play in Europe. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <coughs> sorry. I, uh, I found several models. Um, uh, you know, in, in my book, there's a chapter about Helsinki, which is the capital of Finland. Uh, and there, because there's such a small uh, number of both Jews and Israelis, naturally, it's not one of the big sentences, not uh, London or Paris or Brussels. Um, so they, what they did there, and in many ways, it's, you know, it's the result of a couple of specific individuals. It's not even a big, uh, you know, big ideology behind it, but... Uh, People who realize that, you know, if we don't get join hands here, uh, so we're just going to lose ourselves because it's just not enough people for having both, you know, an enormous, strong Jewish community and an enormous, strong Israeli community. And since the people were, you know, uh, by coincidence or perhaps not by coincidence, um, they could talk to each other, they joined hands and they and they worked together. Uh, so that's one example. I've, I've been told that this is like what happens in Toronto, in Canada and, and in other places in North America as well, that, that kind of a model. On the other hand, um, uh, people talk about Berlin quite a lot. In Berlin, I found hostility and animosity between Jews and Israelis um, yeah. who don't want anything to do with each other. I mean, not all of them, of course, not all of them. But, but you know, you hear these voices um, and not only they don't want to have to, anything to do with each other, say, OK, you're you, I'm me. Um, we're going um, to you know, both go our separate ways. Uh, and there's anything in between. There's all kinds of models that, that I can say, like from a journalistic point of view. But um, I don't know. I found there's a chapter in my book about Amsterdam where you have a, a very big, a very strong, a very interesting Israeli community. All of Israelis, I think all of them are secular Jews, but they still see themselves as a part of a Jewish world, as a certain part, as a humanistic, uh, um, a pluralistic uh, a kind of Judaism. 
Uh, and of course, here in uh, in uh, Europe, you have Chabad, just like you have in uh, other places. And Chabad is really all over the place. And, you know, love it or hate it, they're very effective in the way they get people together and the uh, activities that they do. So there's that. And, and there's everything in between. And they, they all, you know, I, I talk to all of them in my book. So, so I, I map it in that way. So that I can say as a journalist, as a person, as an Israeli who lives in Europe, I'm, I don't know. What I do know is that if there is to be a connection, I, my, my gut feeling is that one of the things that blocks it is that the Jewish communities in Europe, it's not that they have anything against Israelis. It's not that they like them or don't like them or feel hate or feel love. That's not the point. The point is that nothing will go forward until they recognize the fact that Israeliness is also an identity. It's not... It's not some Jews went to Israel, some Jews didn't go to Israel, but we're all the same identity. And it's, it's not. Israel has been around for enough years that Jewish um, uh, prose and Jewish music and Jewish uh, thought. Uh, sorry, no, 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 I'm in the same state. Israeli, Israeli, prose, Israeli yes. music, Israeli thought. Is, is something of itself. You can love it, you can hate it, you can think it's deep, you can think it's shallow, you can think it's uh, it's fascist, or you can think it's left-wing, say whatever you want about it, but you have to recognize it exists. Once that's recognized, then you can sit together in the same room and then start discussing your differences and start arguing or start uh, loving each other, or hating each other, or whatever. Until they're not recognized as two separate identities, uh, I don't think I don't think we'll go forward. I, I just mentioned that in the chapter in my book, um, uh, about Brussels, uh, I speak to some uh, people who are much wiser than me in this uh, aspect. Uh, Fanny Salzberger, for example, who is a historian who, who speaks a lot about this and writes a lot about this, and also to the uh, Chabad rabbi in Brussels, uh, who obviously has a different point of view. And I and I and I start the chapter off by describing the Babylonian exile. Um, and of course, there's a lot of differences. There's nothing really similar between the situation now and the situation hundreds or thousands of years ago. But one thing that is similar is that you coexist. There's a galut, a diaspora, at the same time as there is an uh, independent state. And that dynamic is something that uh, only came back to our lives in 1948, but for a couple of thousand years didn't exist. And I think it takes us a lot of time to realize that something really serious happened in the last 70 years. And that thing is very important. Thank you so much, David. So I'm thinking about um, one of the American Jewish leaders when he worked with, um, who is deeply involved with the Israeli-American community. He said that Israelis um, have the first years when they live in Chutzlaritz, which means that they look at America as if they are going to, they came for a vacation. Yeah, and right. in a way, they only came, they want to meet not the American Jewish community because they don't going to live there, but they're going to go back. They only came for a postdoc for a few right. years of high tech. Right. And they, the, the identity or the state of mind is, we came for a vacation, let meet the America that we cannot meet, have in Israel. So let's live with a non-Jewish community. Let's see the, the multicultural, you know? And right. then there is a point, like five years after, he said, a few years after the expiration dates, when you say to yourself, I'm moving back, that you understand that you don't live anymore in Chutzal, it's not a vacation, but you are becoming a diaspora Jew. 
And what you share with us, and I think it's a fascinating phenomena, is that in a way the Israelis who live in Europe, even if they live there for 20 years, they don't, they still live in both places. Like they, they still didn't open all the suitcase. Yeah. Um, and and you, you speak about the time zone that allow that, the, the cost was so cheap to fly from many places mm-hmm. in Europe. Um, which is interesting phenomena, and and it will be fascinating to read your next book that will be probably in like 10, 15 years about the next generation, yeah. and to see where they are, and also how much it's similar to other immigrants' communities, like Middle Eastern, which are, again, in the same time zone, how much it, they have the same double identities. Yeah, a lot of a lot of it depends on what uh, on the things we talked about, uh, you know, the meeting with the Jewish world and, and and how people experience immigration generally. You know, they're, they're, apart from being Israeli immigrants, they're also immigrants, and every immigrant, you know, and you uh, you 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 hear a lot about depression and about finding a hard time to find yourself and reinvent yourself and 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 you know just the side effects of. of moving your whole life from one country in the Middle East to a European country and all the differences and the language barriers and so on. So there's a lot of that as well, which isn't unique to Israelis. Uh, and of course, there is the bits that are unique for Israelis, like, for example, the love-hate relationship with the Jewish community is already there. And, and other aspects as well. But it also depends on what happens in Israel. So there's two sides to the equation, not only the side of the Israelis who live in Europe. It's also what happens to Israelis who live in Israel. Because I can tell you this, in many ways, you speak to a lot of Israelis who live here, in, when I say here, I mean in Europe, um, and they are in, in many aspects the same as Americans who live in Europe, or the same as, you know, Poles who move to London, or Brits who move to, I don't know, um, San Francisco or Palto Alto. Or, you know, it's a, it's a globalization and, uh, and people who, who, like I said before, work from their laptops and, and can really sort of exist in, in uh, a few countries uh, uh, and not bound the weight of, uh, you know, the, the, the original nation um, weighs them down. So there's that. But on the fringes, there's also another kind of sentiment to it, which, you know, I spoke to a couple of uh, Israelis in Europe who are both sides of the political map. One you would call a radical left-winger and one you could call a, a rad- radical right-winger in, in different countries in Europe. And when you talk to them, um, you also find a bit of kind of aroma of uh, communities, say the Cubans who live in Florida or, you know, Persia, people who came from Iran and live in Germany, or Kurds who live in Sweden, or whatever the case may be. Because as the situation in Israel, you know, when everything in Israel is okay, so that's one situation. But when, I'm not saying if the situation is bad or good in Israel, but I'm saying when there's a feeling of crisis, when there's a war, for example, one of those wars in Lebanon or, or Gaza, or when there's a crisis, so there is kind of a feeling that, People who leave Israel are kind of starting up in another place. And if they maintain the Israeli identity, there's a bit of a sentiment of we'll keep what is getting lost in the old country. Now, this is very sensitive stuff. And I'm not getting into politics now because my opinions don't really matter here. But I think there are people who live in Europe, perhaps also in the US, who are Israelis, and saying we're holding on to our Israeli uh, culture because back at home, it's all getting lost because of war, because of this regime, of that regime. So 
Although in sort of regular days, Israeli immigrants are just like any other immigrants. In that sense, some people have a deeper feeling of creating, you know, the new Israel, the new, like maintaining the old identity while the old one is getting lost in wars in the Middle East and so on. So, so that's also an aspect of, I must say, but meantime, in the real world, um, it's very hard to find Israelis who left Israel for political reasons. A lot of them may say that that's the case. A lot of them may sort of build that as a, you know, kind of a structure to explain to themselves why they're not back at home. Mm -hmm. But in reality, you know, I won't say 100%, but almost everyone left Israel for different reasons. And then there's a narrative that we tell themselves. Uh, We're not really a exile Israeli government because Israel has been taken over by the forces or whatever. But there is a bit of a, that kind of sentiment in certain uh, circles in Europe, certainly. So so I want to stay with um, your last sentences and to try to explore it a little bit more, and you touch it in the book. Um, the place of um, many Israelis who live in North America, they see themselves, I mean, in the past, Israelis told them that they are, um, um, they call them in very um, harsh names. It's like, how come <laughs> that you, you leave Israel? However, today, the Israeli-American community, I can say, I think mostly, they feel that, you know, slowly they have a role. And the role is to, they are totally Americans, but also because of that, that the connection between America and, and is the state of Israel, they see themselves representing Israel, caring about Israel. It's just that they are the ambassadors of Israel in the United States. Yeah. And because of the relationship with the local American Jewish community, they contribute a lot to also to the American Jewish community right. and vice versa. Right. I wonder about that in Europe because you, you you share about the narratives that they are holding. How much they see themselves that they have a role to represent Israel, maybe not even in the political ideas, but as a culture. Like to say, you know, um, this is part of our culture. And also I wonder, and maybe I connect two questions, so help me here, David. (laughs) Many Israelis don't know existentially what is anti-Semitism because they serve in the military, because Palestinians, most of Israelis don't see them as anti-Semitic. They see them as political, you know, question about land. Exactly. Um, in, In Europe, because of the history that you are holding there, I'm sure that many European Jews have a narrative around anti-Semitism. So I wonder where the Israeli European community find itself, how much they need to represent Israel, how much they are having conflict with the narrative about anti-Semitism, etc. Yeah. Well, start from the first part of your question. Uh, you're absolutely right. In the past... And I, like I said, I spoke to, uh, when I interviewed Israelis who live here, I, I spoke to both young ones and uh, and older ones. Uh, so some people who came here three or four or five years ago, but also people who came here uh, in the 60s and the 70s. And definitely the, the older ones talked about the days when they left Israel, they were considered traitors. Uh, in Hebrew, you have the terms for immigration, you have olim v'yordim, right, going up and going down. If you immigrate to Israel, you're going up. If you're going, if you're leaving Israel, you're going down and you're a traitor. And you're, there's all kinds of awful things they used to say about people who left Israel. 
these days, uh, the, the, that sentiment is much weaker, perhaps in some circles in Israel doesn't exist at all. There's a lot of reasons for that, not only how the world became a global place and people became more cosmopolitan and more pluralistic, also because it doesn't really hold itself. A lot of Israelis I spoke to here um, were very aware of, um, I would say, I mean, I mean, it's a lie because people would say of Israelis that they are traitors if they went to live somewhere else. But the second they become successful, they become again part of a family. So you're a traitor. But if you suddenly become a successful Hollywood actress, you're one of us and you're not a traitor anymore. Or if you came a big shot in Silicon Valley, then you're one of us. And you know what happens every time. You know, I'm in Sweden. Every time a Nobel Prize is won by someone who spent 20 minutes in his childhood in some place in Israel, he's already an Israeli, certainly a Jew, won the Nobel Prize. So, so you know, it, it's based on a lie. And, it, it, you know, even not a lie. It's, it's a very natural feeling of, are you with us or against us? Are you part of us or not part of us? And that doesn't carry very much weight anymore. That said... Um, and, and also what I said before, Israelis who live in Europe today are very much part of Israeli society in many ways, if they choose to. But I also met a lot of Israelis who said, you know, I don't care anymore. I don't want to be Israeli. I'm not interested. So, so some people are on, on the side of the spectrum saying, I represent Israel every time I get into a political argument. I would represent my old country and stand up for it. And some people say, I don't care about this stuff anymore. That's the reason I left. And some people, you know, on the other side of the spectrum will be the most active um, BDS fighters against, the. they will say, not against Israel, but against the current regime in Israel. So you have everything from one side to the other side. And when it comes to um, phenomena like anti-Semitism, that's extremely interesting because Israelis don't know anti-Semitism. Which, you know, they've read about it, maybe, they, they've heard about it. But when an Israeli comes to Europe and meets anti-Semitism firsthand for the first time, it's, uh, it's a kick in the, you know, let's say the stomach. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's more than it's painful, it's shocking. You, I mean, it's something that you've read about in a book. It's like going to Mars. It's, it's, uh, you don't believe that someone can actually hate you not because of something you said, not because of something you did, just because of who you were born to be. It's something that as a member of a majority, a national or religious majority, you just never experienced before. And that, you know, people react to that in all kinds of ways. You can become, you know, extra nationalistic or even racist yourself, or you can become, you know, a humanist, left-wing, bleeding heart, whatever. I mean, depending on, on probably depending on where you were in the first place. But, but it's, there it's is a, this shock. It's, there a, is this it's a fundamental shocking experience. And I think it's not only that. It's also, surprisingly enough, uh, a lot of times Israelis who come to Europe, at least that's the case in Europe, for the first time, they discover the Palestinians. Which is insane because, you know, you live in Israel for 20 or 30 or 40 years. Um, and of course, you meet Palestinians in the public, uh, in a hospital, in a but pharmacy. There is a power dimension. But exactly. But you never go to school with Palestinians, mm -hmm. yeah. for example, unless you're in a very, very special school. You never, you know, and here your kids suddenly go to their class and there's both Christians and Jews and Muslims and the people who come from Syria and from Lebanon and from Egypt. And there's all kinds of interesting meetings uh, an interesting, um, let's say, um, you know, give and take uh, back and forth with people who both, you know, it could be neo-Nazis and anti-Semites or with Palestinians and Syrians and Iraqis and things, uh, you know, human meetings, 
which you, for good, for better, for worse, good or bad, uh, pros and cons, whatever. Um, but you don't have back in Israel, and you know, makes life richer. Maybe not easier, but, but uh, there's all kinds of reactions to it. So it's it's another aspect of being an Israeli in Europe, certainly. Yeah, I can just guess that for many Israelis, and, and we see it also with the Israeli-American community, they feel more, um, they feel unique connections with immigrants from the Middle East because they share the same hummus, they share the same even music, like the, the melodies. And uh, in a way, it's a surprise they feel more connection as immigrant communities. Um, then with the locals, so with the natives that see themselves as the other who are coming. Um, you have a chapter... Let, let me just tell you about, on that point that uh, um, I, I very much agree with what you said now. And, and both in my book and I think in the real world, there's, you know, you see the highs and lows of this. Uh, the highs of it is when you find these wonderful connections between... Jews and Arabs in some European city sitting together, eating hummus, listening to, to music and, and saying, oh, you know, we actually were very similar. Why don't we, you know, live in peace and prosperity and democracy uh, from now on forever? Uh, and that's and, and, and now I said it like it sounded like I was sarcastic, but I'm not. It's a real beautiful moment sometimes. But then there's also the downs. I discovered, for example, whether I spoke to people, you know, in this country and that country, young or old, left-wingers, right-wingers, Everyone went through the same depressing experience mm. when the last war in Gaza broke out um, and suddenly discovered that, you know, we're all, it's all fun and games and it's all very nice and we can create these lovely little coexistence. But when there's a crisis back in the homeland, suddenly everyone sort of curls up into their old armor and, 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 you know, people go out to demonstrate and the media is, you know, obsessive with covering more dead children on this side of the border and more rockets on that side of the border. And then everything goes back to the good old hostility, good old it's only us against the world on both sides. And, and personally, I can say, you know, again, saying as a journalist, not as an individual, but I'm, I wish I could say that, you know, the birth of peace and understanding is now being created in the big cosmopolitan cities of Europe. And it is, but it's also, you know, there's every step forward is two steps backwards. And, and, uh, and a lot depends on what really happens back home. So in the end, my book, for example, is true that all the people I spoke to are in Europe, but really it's in its heart. It's a book in Hebrew about Israel, and it all starts from that little piece of real estate in the Middle East. And, and you know, it's, this is just a kind of one of those, you know, waves that go to other places. And it's all very interesting, but the heart of it is back home. And we don't have the time, but there is, I will just share that there is a fascinating chapter that you, you interview um, an Israeli-Palestinian or Israeli-Arab and right. what their relationship, how much do they feel connection with the with the Middle Eastern communities, how many they are Israelis and what do they do with this multi, now it's like trio identities that right. challenge. And as you just mentioned, in times of crisis in the Middle East, their identities are clashing with each other. Um, and in, in Hebrew, that chapter is called a short chapter about a real exile. Unlike, you know, other kinds of exiles, which are more, you know, <laughs> more regular immigration. But yeah, yes. right. Thanks. Yes, definitely. David, thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure to read your book. And we are waiting to read the next one, which hopefully will be about the next generation. 
Thank you very much, Akil. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.